hello everyone and welcome to Back of the Grid. My name is Chris and I'm joined by Tom. Hello. Peering over his cat to see his computer currently. <laughs> yep. Get, get ready for pairs of agreement if I say anything like positive about his favourite drivers. Which I don't know. Oh, I guess we'll find out then. Yeah. Um, we are here to preview the... I have, now, what's the full name of it this time? It's changed again, hasn't it? I mean, it's oh. Imola, but... I mean, I'm taking notes for the end of the year quiz. Yeah. That's for sure. For the race with the longest, most ridiculous... It's still got um, Made in Italy in the middle of it, but there's a new uh, a new sponsor or two thrown in there this time. But it's Imola. Everyone knows it's Imola. That's what we're going to call yeah. it. Uh, but first, we're going to... Well, it's it's been a slow news week. As we were saying before the show, when one of the main news stories is that Alonso thinks Alpine might struggle to catch Ferrari. Like, is that news? Um, it is in his we, world. Yeah. Um, so I think what we're going to do, first of all, is sort of talk about a story that's been rumbling around for a few weeks now that we've not really dug into. But there's kind of things happening now and that is the audi and porsche stuff the will they won't they join the grid in 2026 uh we know there was a vw board meeting uh in recent weeks for those of you who are unaware audi and porsche are both brands under the sort of giant vw umbrella they I still haven't made any final decisions, but they did say that they have confirmed plans for a potential Formula One entry of the two group brands and that they'll provide details at a later date, um, largely because they want to wait for the 2026 rules to be completely finalized. Um, but I do like confirm plans for a potential entry. That's about as vague a statement as you can come up with. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's pretty widely believed now that Porsche are going to be joining up with Red Bull, essentially taking over Red Bull powertrains and kind of rebranding it as Porsche and bringing all of their technical know-how to it. Um, that in itself is already raising some questions because um, the regulations allow sort of financial concessions for new entries but obviously there's yeah. a bit of disagreement over whether rebel powertrains and then it becoming porsche counts as new i suppose it depends on if they just take over the existing unit or if they start developing something themselves in-house and then sell it on to red bull i guess <laughs> Yeah, well, that'll be what makes a difference, won't it? But then, then how do you prove that they've yeah. not just taken something on? Because this uh, is the interesting thing. It, mm. it originally it was kind of looking like VW were happy to sort of get their brands in in a kind of cost-effective way, just sort of join up with some existing partners, um, rebadge some bits, all of that kind of thing. But it now seems like, although Porsche is still kind of happy to go down that route, Audi actually want their own standalone engine project kind of built from the ground up. Um, and they also want to sort of take a significant stake in a team to actually have some control over it. Because um, they, because obviously there's been talk of a VW entry on and off for years and 
it's understood that they kind of had the beginnings of a V6 powertrain um, within the last five or 10 years they were working on. So they kind of already have a bit of a starting point if they wanted to do that. But that seems to be the reason why talks with McLaren and Williams are sort of believed to have stalled because neither of those teams want to kind of give up control. They're happy to be engine partners, but it sounds like Audi want to have some actual control over the team, which McLaren and Williams don't want to give up. Understandably so for those two teams, I think. Yeah, I think that's... You, you can see why VW Group, however they did decide to enter the sport, want it to be a team they're in at least some control of. But then you mm-hmm. can also see how... Um, I mean, to be fair, even Red Bull, you can see that even Red Bull would not want to relinquish that much control. But Yeah, which is, I guess, is why yeah. the Porsche thing seems so... It seems like it's going to happen there because Porsche as a brand kind of seem happy to just kind of be a partner, whereas Audi yeah. are very much like... If we're going to do this, we want to do it kind of properly. Um, yeah, it make, makes it it makes most sense, doesn't it? I think that. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it would have been a really good opportunity for the likes of McLaren and Williams, but it'd be a shame to see either of those names kind of just become. A manufacturer wouldn't it like how, how far yeah. do they want this control to go i guess is the question and it's probably why they've it sounds like they've backed out of it yeah i think the, with the way formula one is starting a completely fresh team isn't a realistic option for no audi either so that's why they're looking at trying to get their foot in the door with an existing team um and i, I think Obviously, the talks that have gone round of Sauber potentially being a team that they'd look at, I guess, makes sense in the same way that mm. Alfa Romeo's that like is obviously part of the Ferrari group, and it's you know they've they've stuck that engine in the car and and rebadged it, and it's essentially an Alfa team now for all intents and purposes. So you could imagine that Sauber might be a good fit for Audi. If they were looking to um, get more of a like factory favoritism kind of deal going yeah. rather than factory support like they are at the moment to Ferrari, it it kind of makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Like, mm. Sauber have got a history of just operating under whatever name that the partners want them to operate under. Because as you say, they they are Alfa Romeo these days. Late two thousands, they were BMW. Like they've still always just essentially yeah. at the core been the Sauber team, but they're happy to just rebadge with whatever their partners want them to be. Um, yeah. There's also some history between Sauber and Audi. I think Audi have like used Sauber's facilities for some of their other projects in the past, so they're not kind of alien to them. Um, I was about to say, was the, um, the Sauber C9 not Audi-related, but that was Mercedes. That was Mercedes-related, yeah. So, yeah, it's different. Mind. Yeah, but again, it's it's another example of it's built and run by Sauber, but it's got a another manufacturer's badge on it, kind of thing. I mean, there was yeah. more of a link up with that car in particular, I think. But um, yeah, because it was kind of like officially 
it was officially a Sauber C9, I think, wasn't it? But then, like, you got it referred to as sort of a, a Sauber Mercedes C9. I think or so, yeah. Bit of both. So, uh, but, Aston yeah. Martin I- has also been mentioned. I'm not as convinced by that. Like, yeah. The main reason I'm not as convinced by that is I think one of the reasons that it is Aston Martin as it is now is obviously Lawrence Stroll's involvement in both Aston and the the team um, as it was Racing Point and so on. Yeah, because... So, yeah, I'd find it difficult to see if we, like relinquish that control. And I, I, I guess you could have an Aston Martin powered by Audi, but it just, I don't think it makes sense. I don't think Audi would want that either. Not when they're kind of competitors in the road car market. Exactly. It seems weird to link them up. Like It's a weird one with, Alf, with them, Aston Martin, because Aston Martin, the racing team, and Aston Martin, the car company, are sort of separate entities. It's just that Lawrence Stroll obviously runs the race team and has a very large stake in the road car company, which is why the kind of the branding of the Formula One team happens. But... In a way, yeah. it's not technically an Aston Martin Formula One team, um, so it, you know it wouldn't be out of the question. True. But I'd be very surprised if that if they did go down that route. Yeah, um, I mean the, the the other potential is something that I think Paul's just said in the chat as well, which is the fact that by the time it comes around to it, Lauren Stroll might have kind of had enough of owning and running an F one team and be looking to sell up. And yeah, hand it true. over to somebody like an Audi um, or somebody that wants to just buy in and have a factory team, but not have to start from ground zero. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I can't. I can't see the direct tie happening. Not while it's got its links to Aston Martin, and then like the Aston Martin road cars are a, a competitor to Audis to some degree anyway, and also run with Mercedes based engines in the first place, same as what yeah. we're doing in F1 currently. So. Like the, the, that that relationship exists not only in F one but in the road cars as well. So I just exactly, can't see Audi yeah. wanting their name anywhere near any of that. While well, it's like it is now. So if it, if it were you deciding for Audi, who would you like? What team would you want to go for? Um, if I had that power at Audi, I would either be looking to probably see if you could take over the rebranding deal of a of a Sauber or a buyout of Lauren Stroll to take over what mm-hmm. is currently the Aston Martin team. I think the, those are the two most realistic options for Audi. It just depends on how... I guess it depends on what they want to have to start off with. Like that, that Alpha as it is currently doesn't look too bad at the minute. So if that trend continues... Going into that team and rebranding might look more appealing than taking over an Aston Martin team that at the moment is, um, I mean, quite possibly one of the worst, if not the worst cars on the grid at times. At the very least, in terms of points right now, it is the worst. But yeah, it's, yeah. it's a real struggle right now. So, um, but yeah, I think that those are a bit, if I was, if I was an Audi, like, senior management member then i'd probably be looking at one of those two and for me the salba buying out the salba branding and i'd, I'd happily leave it as salba underneath same as what it is with alpha alpha at the moment 
Um, yeah, well, it was always BMW Sabre as well, wasn't it, back in the yeah. 2000s? Yeah, I think, I mean, like, technically for a while, it was just BMW Motorsport or BMW yeah. F1 or something like that. And the Sauber branding was kind of not in the title name of the of the team, but even still, it was, for still all intents and purposes, still place, the Sauber yeah. team. Like, I've, I'm pretty sure there's still members of staff that have been there from earlier Sauber days that have kind of survived through the BMW era and then back into Sauber and then into this Alpha era and so on backwards and forth. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I think it makes a lot of sense. Choice. Yeah, that, that's that's the, the option I'm expecting them to go for, I think, as well. Um, we're probably not going to get a final decision for a little while. I, I think they are holding out for some final agreement on what the 2026 engine rules will be. The rumours are that it's going to stay V6 turbos, but they're going to get rid of the MGU H. Is that right? Yes, the MGU Yes, H. I believe so. Um, which I think is a big part of... That's, that's one of the big things that the VW group were pushing for if they were going to join um, at that point in time. So, Yeah, we'll, we'll wait and see. Uh, yeah, I, I think actually, just sorry, just a quick one on that point. I think that as far towards the end of last year, they basically said the MGUH is definitely going. I don't think it's been like put into writing yet. Yeah, I think that's higher the thing. higher ups have basically said that it will be going because they know that it's a key factor for brands like Audi and so on to, yeah. to want to join. Um, and I mean, it reduces the complication and expense of the engines because uh, I feel like MGUH is pros- possibly still one of the areas that we hear a lot of trouble. Like, yeah, a lot of failures that teams sort of hint towards MGUH quite a bit more often just than other parts. It, it might too be expensive coincidental, and too but unreliable, isn't it, at the moment? It yeah, always has I think been, really. The, the technology is awesome, but it's not necessarily suitable for ro- uh, race car week in week no. out whereas road car possibly a lot more feasible where the the stresses it's put under is uh, yeah exactly much more minimal <laughs> um another quick newsy bit uh, the world Motorsport council have announced the new fia single seater commission president which was previously bob fernley who you might remember from uh, the force india days um, yeah. I believe it was supposed that role was supposed to be taken over by Michael Massey, um, but with everything that happened end of last year, his name sort of disappeared from that in a lot of the um, FAA documentation. Uh, it's never announced that that job's going to be taken over by Giancarlo Minardi, who is the man behind the Minardi F1 team. Um, founded back in 1985, and he was team principal until 2001 which is when he sold the team to Paul Stoddart. Uh, he's also been the president of the Imola circuit in recent years. Nothing played a big part in F1 going back there. Um, but yeah, he's now going to be the single seater commission president, which means he's basically overseeing all single seater FIA series. So that's F1, F2, F3, all the different regional F3s, all the regional F4s. He's kind of overseeing all of that, which is cool. It's um, Yeah, good to see him back obviously in that a, sort of position. Yeah, I mean, um, our podcast has roots in our love for well the Minardi team. So yeah, I was I was about to give a little tidbit to all the newer listeners because 
I mean, so even the long-term ones might not know, but like when me and you came up with the idea of this podcast, we were literally trying to think of names and how to kind of brand ourselves, so to speak. And I remember the, the conversation pivoted around a comment I made that was something like, we, we're basically going to be the Minardi of podcasts, Minardi of F1 podcasts. Like, yeah. we'll turn up every week. We'll probably be the worst, but we will always be around. <laughs> and that was kind of where Back of the Grid ended yeah. up coming from. Um, and he's one of the reasons that he's like the dark purple branding to a degree as well, because it was like the dark purples and dark blues in Minardi, wasn't mm. it? Back yeah. The day. So, yeah, it was... Yeah. Um, there you go. A lot little of love for that team here. Info. Uh, and I mean, it's what he's now Toro Rosso, is it not? Uh, well, it's what he's now Alpha Tower. But not but yes. Sorry, Alpha Tower. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, still going strong, very strong, in fact. And as as that team gets better, I like to think we slowly get better. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was the awesome thing when Vettel won um, at Monza for Toro Rosso, like. There were still an awful lot of people at that team at that point in time that were ex Minardi people. Like they'd been yeah. there through the years of them just being at the back. So it was yeah. like unbelievable for them to celebrate a win. You, you got to remember as well some of the caliber of drivers that's actually been through Minardi while it was oh, Minardi. Like yeah. Fisichella, Alonso, Weber. Mm -hmm. um, Loads of drivers got their start there. <laughs> Papa Verstappen. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of them. Uh, so yeah, there, there's quite a few drivers like that were that had considerable careers basically that went through Minardi at some point. So I mean, one of them still having a considerable career in Alonso. <laughs> so and he will never stop. Yeah. Uh, just quickly mention as well because obviously it's the first sprint race of the season this weekend. Um, so a quick reminder because I'd forgotten half of this myself of the sort of tweaks to the sprint rules for this season um, it's still going to be the same 100 kilometer race with no mandatory pit stops grid still set by Friday qualifying they've now decided that pole position will be awarded to the fastest driver in qualifying not the winner of the sprint like it was last season in reality, that makes precisely no difference to anything other than what gets written <laughs> down in the uh, history books, but it's a thing a lot of people wanted, so there it is. Um, but yeah, still uh, sprint grid set by qualifying, finishing order of the sprint is the starting grid for Grand Prix. Uh, biggest change is the point system. So last season, it was only the top three, wasn't it? Got three, two, and one points. Yeah. Now it's the top eight get eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one point. So it makes them a little more significant. Yeah. But yeah, otherwise it's kind of same, same. It's what we've been saying all along is still true is that the race is a third longer and they have an overnight red flag and dish out a few points when a third of it's done. <laughs> yeah. But there we go. Yeah. I mean, I'm... I prefer as as daft as the thing as it is, I prefer the fact that the the official pole position will be given to the person fastest in qualifying that starts. It kind of well. feels right, doesn't it? Yeah, like it's so much more confusing saying someone's got 
someone's earned pole position in qualifying, but then they've not actually earned pole position. They've just earned the right to start the sprint at the front, and then whoever won the sprint got pole position. Like, that's not... Yeah, fair enough. It's pole position for the Sunday, but, like, the original earning of pole position is about who comes out best in qualifying before, like, the penalties yeah, and exactly. such. So, yeah. That's what matters. So, um, it's worth worth mentioning as well the fact that because this is the first sprint weekend of the season, um, when we get to it, your predictions will need to be in earlier than usual because it's Q1 that dictates the start of predictions. Yes. So, remember this is a sprint weekend, folks, and you need your predictions in earlier than usual. And your fantasy lineups, for that matter, if you're making any changes to your fantasy lineups, they will lock yes, a lot sooner than usual. So, bear that in mind. It'll be at least our time here in the UK. It's 4 p.m. on Friday is uh, when qualifying starts. So that's when it will all be locked. So please bear that in mind. Yeah. Uh, which kind of brings us on to Imla itself um, and a few storylines going into the weekend. And I guess sort of carrying on from that is how well will Imla lend itself to the sprint weekend format? Yeah, it's going to be interesting, isn't it? Like, I'm uh, I'm intrigued to know essentially how the new cars will go, and mm. the the weather forecast as it stands at the moment has us looking at a potentially wet quali on the Friday with a wet sprint race on the Saturday. Does it not? The last time I looked, I think it was yeah. So that should be interesting, and then obviously going into a dry race on. On the Sunday, I think is where the forecast was last time I looked. Um, and we know what kind of mistakes and issues come up when it rains at Imola. <laughs> so it should make things interesting. It is kind of as much of a test for the new cars as it is for the circuit for a sprint format, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, it's... I think, I think what will help is the fact that the cars seem to be proving that they can follow one another uh, a lot closer and a lot better. And there's a couple of sections that I think potentially will allow people to, to get a little bit sort of in and closer, like the bit that's sort of up round the top. Um, it's like sector two, technically. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of like, you sort of come, you go up the hill round the hairpin and then you sort of come kind of down in the dip and back out again. And it's all those like fast right-handers. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a lot of that where potentially people weren't able to to keep as close as they'd like to, meaning the hairpin at the end of that in the final sector or going into the final sector, depending on where exactly the um, split point is. It, it was a bit of a non-event, like people weren't able to have a bit of a daring move through that tight hairpin. And I'm hoping that the new cars will allow for things like that. And and as well, the the second fast hairpin um, at the end of sector one, before you run down into the hairpin. Yeah, uh, sorry, yeah. the second fast chicane, sorry, yeah. before you run down into the hairpin. Um, I think that, again, that's somewhere that hopefully people will be able to keep a little bit closer to one another and then have a go into the heavier braking zone. So, 
yeah, it'd be very, very interesting to see how it plays out overall. But I, I think there's a lot of potential there. Um, and I think that the way that the cars follow each other a lot better so far this season lends to people trying to bustle their way through in a sprint race in order to um, A, claim some points because there's more points on offer now, but B, also, you know, obtain a better position if they've had a bit of a poor Friday afternoon in terms of qualifying. And mm. and it's it's an initial recovery, isn't it? For, I don't know, say, just for argument's sake, someone like Carlos Sainz, who had a bit of a poor quality in Australia, in that situation with the sprint race, you've got an opportunity to not only claw back some positions, but also claw back some points uh, in the sprint race and end up in a position where, yeah, fair enough, you've not taken the maximum you potentially could have, but it's good damage limitation. And then you start in the race on Sunday a lot further up uh, with more chance at the big points. So it's it could suit somebody like that if they have a bit of a poor quality run on Friday, I think. Yeah, because, I mean, there's, there's going to be less time to, particularly for the teams who are struggling with setup at the moment, there's less time to figure that setup out as well because it's only two practice sessions. So you've, they've really yeah. got to be hitting the ground running immediately, haven't they? Yeah, and one of the practice sessions comes in between quality and the sprint. Or is it, yeah, yeah, in between quality and sprint, um, isn't it? Yeah, so it's Saturday one, morning before the race. Practice one, then qualifying, then practice two. Yeah, so yeah, yeah not much time at all to prepare. Next storyline: Can Red Bull get on top of their reliability issues? And actually, we've got related to that in the inbox. Uh, Paul said, "Do you think Red Bull are reliable enough to finish a sprint race?" Uh, but joking aside, surely they must be concerned that they won't be able to manage a sprint and then the race without breaking down, which is. A good point. They've two out of the the two races so far we've had where Red Bull haven't managed to make it in the Grand Prix. If you add in another third mm. race distance on top, it's um it's gotta be a worry for them. Um Helmut Marco this week has suggested that uh, some form of poor poising might be uh causing their problems, which I don't remember seeing the Red Bull showing any signs of poor poising, but Perez had a little bit of it in Australia. The same as Sainz had a bit more than um, than Leclerc in the Ferrari. Like the the second, I, I shouldn't really say that about Carlos Sainz, should I? But the the second Red Bull at least seemed to have more poor poison than the than Max's. Uh, so then again, all that being said, I basically tune out. People like Helmut Marko. I think <laughs> well, I said yeah. this recently that, like, I, I don't even listen to what he said. Like, the, honestly, the first time I hear about Helmut Marko saying something is if you decide to put it in one of these <laughs> updates and quote it. I just genuinely don't listen to the man anymore because there's some utter tripe that comes out from between his lips. Yep. So I've enormous pinches caring. of salt required. Oh yeah, hundred um, percent. But yeah, on Red Bull, I mean. It's not great for them, is it, right now? They've, they've definitely got some... You know, obviously, they've had a couple of weeks now to look into the issues they've had. You would hope, for their sake, they've figured out what it is and got a fix. But um, 
like the speed the calendar moves this season, it doesn't give you much breathing room to fix these things, does it? No. And I think this is why we'll not see huge significant upgrades over the weekend because I don't think teams are going to risk changing things that aren't going to give them guaranteed results, you know, like that they've seen significant significant improvement from digitally, however you want to put it, like before putting them on the car, mm-hmm. regardless of what it's for, whether it's like an aero perspective or, you know, powertrain improvements and, and reliability fixes. I don't think they're potentially going to run the risk of um, putting something on the car only being able to run it for an hour on Friday and then having to go into qualifying. Yeah. Um, either that or they're going to put, it's going to be something that they can put on and take off if they're not happy with it. So then they know they can just go back to as was. Um, but yeah, an event like this, I think a lot of the talk that we've seen about upgrades, both from a reliability perspective and an aero perspective, there might not be as many as first thought just because uh, teams will be factoring in the fact that it is that sprint weekend mm-hmm. i guess the other thing as well is like if you're bringing new parts and you've only got a couple of examples of them built do you want to be risking them at a sprint weekend where there's that much more scope for stuff to get damaged i suppose as well yeah yeah you've you're sort of a you're pushing the limits a lot more over the course of a sprint weekend, aren't you? And mm. it's the fact that there's more meaningful track running. Like it's a bit of a poor yeah. choice of words for it, but you know, more of the sessions matter. More of the track time is yes. valuable in terms of points, and and the outcome is important in those scenarios. So, I think that's why they'd be very reserved and conservative in the updates that they do make and, and where they go with them and, and things like that or and and the scale of them. Uh, and then last, I guess last couple of storylines because they're related, uh, Mercedes and McLaren, are they going to continue to close the gap to the front? Was Australia sort of a one-off or have they actually both unlocked some pace? I think in terms of teams bringing something, these two will probably have something fairly significant but again it'll it'll drop back into my previous lines of it's going to be something that's probably reversible yeah that if if things aren't working they're not sacrificing a sprint weekend with extra points it has to be doesn't it cost yeah like it's going to be something like a new nose with a new front wing that they can easily revert to the old nose with the old front wing it is it's going to be that kind of update I can see uh, coming for these kind of cars. Um, further down the grid, I'm not so sure. Someone like, say, Alpine, Alpha Romeo, Alpha Tower even, might take a bit more of a punt, actually, going against what I previously said and, and just see it as, let's get some updates on the car and see if we can end up in these points in both races. But yeah, it's it's a difficult one, but I, I, I can definitely see teams being more reserved than risk taking. Mm-hmm. 
Right. Shall we do some predictions? Yes, let's. Um, so, for those who don't know, um, what we do is we go through and predict five things, which we'll cover in just a moment for each race weekend. You can get involved by heading to backofthegrid.com. Uh, if you haven't joined before, it's still worth doing because there is a prize if you get five out of five and get them all right in a given race weekend. Um, so it's always worth joining in. And to be honest, at the rate that some of us score points, us three in particular, uh, <laughs> it's quite easy to catch up even though the season has already started. So be sure to uh, come join in uh, if you want to. Uh, so with that being said, we will do our first prediction and that is fastest in Q3. So Chris, who do you think will be... Earning pole position <laughs> for the sprint. I think I think it's signs. Ooh, you're going with it's signs as time. I think this is time it. I think this shine. is this is the weekend. I wish you could all oh. see the difficulty Tom just went through typing three letters. <laughs> it's so difficult when there's a giant bundle of fur sat between me and the keyboard. <laughs> It's not even the fact that I can't touch type either, because I can to a degree. It's more the fact that he's in the way, so I don't actually even know where my hands are on the keyboard. Um, <laughs> yeah, we ended up with something like S, D, and then an equal sign at one point there. <laughs> so, um, I, want, I want to be right. Uh, sorry, I want you to be right even. But I think just given current form and and the car I'm going to have to go the other side of the same garage I like that you typed in Leclerc for yeah me I already I knew where you were going because you knew where I was going <laughs> but yeah I think I'm going to have to go Leclerc for this weekend um, so the next on the list is the win um, I'll go first on this one and this is more difficult because this is the win on the Sunday and you've got to factor in that between that fastest in Q3 and then the race on Sunday, there is a um, a sprint race to be had to factor in. So this is where I jump to the other side of the garage and I say Carlos Sainz. Ooh, okay. As in something's... There's a lot of running to be done between the end of Q3 and the checkered flag. And I can just imagine maybe this is the weekend where <laughs> Max and Leclerc <laughs> cause each other some issues. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm keeping the science faith this weekend completely. Double science. Yeah. Double science. Um, okay, the next on our list is first DNF. So bearing in mind, this will be first DNF of the Grand Prix. Uh, mm -hmm. So the Sunday race, not the first DNF of the sprint race. Um, Chris, who do you think it will be? I kind of want to say Verstappen. Oof. I'm going to say Verstappen. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. It's Verstappen. Wow. Crazy boy. Um, mm, given recent events... I'm going with Lance Stroll. He's had some very poor weekends so far this season. Um, and I can just see him making more mistakes at some point yeah. during that Grand Prix earlier. Uh, right, the next one is the number of finishers. So I will go first. Um, 
I think the fact we'll have had a sprint race the day before will be a factor in this. And if the weather has anything to do with it, like it has in the last couple of times we've been there, I'm thinking lower. So I'm actually going to go 15 on this one this week. I'm like, I was sort of 15, 16 as well. I, I, I agree with your logic. And we've, it's been quite low numbers in general this season so far, hasn't it, if I remember rightly? Yes. Yeah, surprisingly, the, the mechanical retirements has been higher than you'd have thought for an engine of this mm. this life in terms of its development. But I guess the fuels and things, are, the new fuels are maybe having an effect on part of that and and teams not fully understanding them and not being able to get the best out of them. The, the cooling's obviously different this year with the way teams are designing the cars. So reliability's suddenly become kind of a factor again when it comes to the engines. I'm going to say 15 as well. Ooh. Stealing your answer. A snapshot. And then can you generate as a random driver, please, Chris? I certainly can. This time it is... Ooh, Sergio Perez. Ooh, that's a tough one. Which I've already seen a few people in the live chat picking as their first DNF, so that makes things interesting. Mm. I'm going to go with... It's tough, this. It's tough when I've got science as a win. But the circumstances I'm putting science as a winner. Ugh, it's tough. Third. I'm going third. It's tricky, isn't it? Mm. It is indeed. I mean, he's got to finish two races to get that third. There's every chance he could be one of the DNFs. I, I'm going to go second, I think. Oh! I'm, I'm... You're going Ferrari Red Bull with the second, in quote mark, drivers. I yeah. mean, in Red Bull, he's definitely a second driver, but in Ferrari, it's a little bit more open. Well, moment. I've obviously gone Verstappen first DNF, and I'm thinking maybe Leclerc has a difficult yeah. race. Maybe like, you know, like Hamilton last year, like tricky race, has yeah, to yeah. fight his way back up, and Perez is as far as he gets. Yeah, interesting. Um, I'd just like to point out... Um, wait, where's it gone? Uh, Stephen in the chat says, can I pick whoever is next to Lance Stroll as first DNF? <laughs> <laughs> I wish. I wish that was the option. Whoever whoever qualifies next to Stroll on the grid. In Might the make that like a, a super secret option. I think Nico Hulkenberg's still an option over um, included in the 20, so... That's a ball pick. best... I best um, swap him back for Vettel <laughs> if I haven't already. I think I put Vettel back, but maybe I'm not taking Hulkenberg out. <laughs> Be interested to see how many people pick Hulkenberg. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's us. Anyway, that is ours. Um, prove how wrong we are by entering for yourself at backofthegrid.com. As I said earlier, uh, always worth doing because you can score five out of five. And a lot of people came very close last week. I think the thing that makes this week trickier is definitely the sprint race, but yeah. it's all the more impressive if you do manage it. So head on over and check it out. Um, let's do some inbox after that. Is <laughs> Keep it saying now. Stay, stay out. Box, box, box. Hey, man. <laughs> First this week from Kilowog. 
Of the many teams rumored to be bringing improvements to Imola, which are you expecting the biggest jump forward from and which the least? Hmm, it's interesting, isn't it? I, th- I think Mercedes and McLaren will have good updates, but it's about the question is about like who's going to make the biggest step. Um, I'm going to go out there and say Alpine make the mm. biggest step. Not necessarily saying they'll be the best of the rest, but in terms of performance improvement, maybe them seeing them getting the biggest gains. Um, I mean, it's the boring answer, but I do think it probably will be Mercedes. If anyone's going to make a really big step forward, like, they're the obvious place to expect that from. Um, mm. In terms of the least... Um, I mean, I don't know if Aston Martin are supposed to be bringing upgrades, but I think they more than anyone they seems to. Yeah, but they more than anyone <laughs> seems to just not understand their car right now. So it would be on brand for their season to bring updates and then just not do what they're hoping them to do. Yeah, I, I guess the thing going back to your Mercedes point is when you think about them running the um, the your sensors during mm. the race on Hamilton's car they were clearly trying to gain an understanding of what's going on during a race as well as other sessions like the, the full extent of the race so if they if they've had time to understand that data and facilitate something in response to that data then I'd agree that you could see them jump forward but I don't know if two weeks is enough to understand that turn it into something meaningful and then yeah. produce it to put it on the car, especially at a sprint weekend. So I think that update is coming. It's just whether or not we'll see it this weekend. So, um, Toby Godfrey says, uh, how do you feel these cars and ver- and the various teams will fare if, uh, if it's the first wet weekend of the season? I'm very curious personally. Uh, and Wes also added, of the current grid, who are the better drivers in the rain? Given their team, will it give them any advantage at Imola? The, um, hmm. It's hard to say with the new cars, isn't it? I mean, I know yeah. a, a point that um, a couple of people have made in the chat is that it's going to be interesting if it does rain to see the new aero and how it's working based on the spray from the back of the cars. So I'm looking forward yeah, to yeah. that. Um, I, I don't feel like the new cars are necessarily going to make a huge difference in the rain in one direction or the other. I don't think like, I, I don't feel like the, the downforce coming from a different place is going to make that much difference. The interesting thing for me will be how heavy the rain is like with ground effect. I can see aquaplaning being more of a problem in heavier rainfall. Um, But obviously we tend to not run if anything's too major. But, I mean, rainfall at somewhere like Spa, uh, Suzuka, and so on tends to cause a lot of problems anyway. And with ground effect, I can imagine that there will be a lot more precaution taken around those kind of... Mm. Uh, those kind of things I, I, I guess it depends like I, I could just see that like the, like say the combination of the pole poison from the ground effect and then a decent amount of standing water is more of a problem than in 
previous aero formulas. Yeah, but I mean, I'm not. If, <laughs> I don't claim to be any kind of aero expert. Or if it's um, wet enough to be running proper wet setups, then you're going to be running the cars higher anyway, which true means yeah, the ground effect true. will be less effective. As a weird sentence, um, in the first place. Yeah. But I think you're right. I, I think if it is like properly wet, they pro- they are going to be sort of cautious with what running they do given that it is like a bit of a step into the unknown and then in terms of the the drivers i mean max and lewis are the obvious first two names that come to mind when you talk about wet weather driving Uh, in fact i'm sure lewis would love a wet race because he would probably be (laughs) right at the sharp end even though the car's a bit of a dog yeah it uh, do you know what it would be interesting to see how much of a an equalizer the rain is in this mm. kind of aero generation because we've always said that because of the way the cars are rain nullifies a lot of that and you tend to see drivers with good raw talent making the best of those scenarios and picking up kind of out of position sort of results like way further up than they should be um or like a you know, a good driver in a good car like Lewis just mm-hmm. running away with it. It's it is a combination of either like the the good drivers that are already in good cars running away with something like Lewis and Max, or um, the good drivers in lesser machinery like George Russell at that qualifying he did in in Spa last year, Vettel when he won in the Toro Rosso, um, like stuff like that is yeah, uh, that's what you sort of see. Um, Ferrari will be so, interesting as well. Um, yeah, be interesting how the Ferrari deals. My suspicion is that in wet conditions, signs will be a lot closer to Leclerc, if not quicker, based on previous evidence. Yeah, I'd, I'd hope that the wet would give someone like Vettel an opportunity to make the most of a poor situation yeah. with Aston Martin at the moment as well. So Vettel's probably on my... Vettel, basically... The old boys, as you yeah, would put them, the like Lewis, Vettel, Alonso, I'd expect all them to do well. Um, and then George has proven himself in the wet before, mm-hmm. as has Max many times. So I think out of the sort of the young guns, those two. And then like, there's a couple of drivers, like say Lando Norris in particular, has got a bit of a point to prove probably yeah. if there's a wet weekend, like with That's what happened sure. in Russia. So... I mean, Stephen in chat is pointing out um, Stroll can be good in the wet, but yeah, generally he's taken out half the field first. So <laughs> there's a difference. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Turkey last year, was it last year? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, was. he was unbelievable for the first two thirds of that race. Oh, no, was it was it last year or was it the year before after it got resurfaced and it was all yeah you're right it was yeah the year before 2020 not 2021 but yeah i know i know what you mean like they'll yeah that race there uh so but yeah i, th- I think that kind of covers off both yeah both those uh last question this week from michelle latifi alonso and seb which are still on the grid next season mm. seb yes i think seb's got the the patience to see it out um, and see if things improve. I can't see him. I can't see him like moving for yet another shot somewhere else, unless 
a dream drive like drops on his doorstep like say i don't know say lewis decides he's, he's had <laughs> enough and mercedes call him up like unless something like that drops on his doorstep he's not gonna move i think but i also don't think he's ready to retire completely yet so i think seb will still be there alonso is a bit of a question mark for me i could see alonso maybe calling it a day his contract is officially up at the end of this season as well isn't it i believe so yeah so yeah i, I can see him maybe taking yet another sabbatical and coming back in four years <laughs> um and latifi i guess it depends on if williams as a team start finding money from elsewhere and don't need the the coffee money anymore from Latifi Senior. Yeah, I I don't think Latifi's got much more to offer, to be honest. Um I I have a feeling this might be his last year. Um, yeah, I don't know what he's like contractually or anything, but I, I've got a feeling he's not got anything left on yeah. his deal after this season. Um Alonso, I agree so, with you. I think Alonso will stick it out. Seb there's part of me starting to wonder if Seb might retire at the end of this year. I think... Maybe. I think unless he really thinks like next year is going to be a lot better, unless you see some real improvement, I can see him calling it a day. Because um, he's not going to want to toot around like maybe getting a point or two um, no. at best. Uh, Roxy has also mentioned interesting things. Whose seat is Oscar taking? Which is a good point because Alpine are saying they're open to Piastri sort of being loaned out somewhere. So, yeah, you know, if I, if I were Williams, I'd certainly take Piastri with Alpine paying a chunk of his wages over Latifi. Yeah, yeah. I mean, out of those three, basically, there's only one that's gonna be there. I think, and it's probably like, say, 70-30 between Seb and Alonso, respective. I think Seb's more likely than Alonso to to be there, but I think it's only one of them that's going to be there. Mm-hmm. And I think Alonso's the one that's more likely to go. So, but yeah, I mean, the... the They've both got different scenarios, haven't they? Like Alonso's got plenty of other things to go do and try that he's not already done and tried, or just go, you know, do a full season of work or do a full season of India. Like there's there's a lot of potential yeah. there for him with the things he's already done. And Seb's got a young family, so like that's the reason I can see both of them potentially going. But they've 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 definitely both got reasons to go elsewhere should they should it should they not fancy it let's put it that way yeah so there's a there's every chance that we don't see any of the three but my I, gut says seb's around for at least one more year yeah i do think when seb retires he's going to be one of those that just like disappears like he decides to retire and we just don't hear from him like he'll like yeah. in five years time he'll just suddenly turn up on the grid for a grand prix and it's like hey seb how have you been sort of thing but yeah I don't think he's just going to disappear into the ether and go and have a family life. Yeah, Seb's 100% going for family life. If he, if, if Seb leaves, he's going and spending time yeah, with his family. he's like not going to go he's not, he's not, No, he's not going and turning up in IndyCar or WEC <sighs> or anything in anytime soon. So, I would also like to thank 
Jamie in the chat for saying that Sebi's still young because um, he's only a year younger than me. So I, I appreciate that. <laughs> I needed that. Yeah, it makes me feel young too. If, if Seb's young, I'm young. Seb I'll was actually that. the first world champion that was younger than me. And that was like a difficult pill to swallow at the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, right. And that just about does us for this week. Uh, so thanks as always, everyone, for listening, for those of us who joined us in the live chat, if you're interested in knowing how to get involved with that, you can go to patreon.com forward slash back of the grid where you can see all the details of that stuff. Um, as we've already mentioned, head to backofthegrid.com where you can sign up to enter the Predictions League. Reminder again that you only have until Friday evening, the beginning of Q1 on Friday, to enter your predictions. Likewise for the official F1 Fantasy League and the Grid Rivals Fantasy League, which you can find links to on the website as well. If you want to get in touch with us, we're in all of the usual places, Facebook and Twitter, and you can contact us via the website and all that stuff. And I think that's all the things. So holiday dependent, some of us will be here next week to discuss (laughs) the Grand Prix. Uh, We might be a day later than usual next week, but... uh, it will be schedule dependence because we're all all over the place. But we will let you know in all the usual places. So yeah, thanks again for joining us. And until then, it's goodbye. Bye, everyone. It's Rolex that have slipped themselves into the name this year. It's the Formula One Rolex Grand Premio Dell made in Italy, Della Mina Romagna 2022. Yep. And that has been noted for the quiz. <laughs>